I just press record because you're reading the story. I just have to give you good facial expressions. <laughs> what does that mean? <sighs> I have discovered that I have resting I love you face and it is causing me problems in the world. <laughs> yes, that was like... You know, some people have resting bitch face. That is very parallel to when I was in CPE and I was in the hospital and they told me I had to learn to turn my face off because my face is like... Would you like to talk to me? She's going, oh. Because I had all these. So I wrote up every conversation I had. You have to write all these verbatims. And yep. I would have conversations with people in the cafeteria. And staff in the elevator would be like, oh, you're wearing the chaplain badge. And your face is going. And then they would tell me about the terrible thing that just happened. And so I had like five times the conversations to report. Oh, no. Because I have open talk to me face, which I me thought too. I was doing a great job. I was, except I couldn't breathe at the end of the day. And they wrote one week in my in my instructions, you are to interact with no one this week. Oh, and you had to like have a shut down face? I had to learn how to not interact with anyone except like the three that were assigned. What was that like? It was life-saving. I teach it in the lay chaplaincy programs. I teach it to any new minister who um, ever listens to me. Don't people get mad? No, you look like a normal person. Okay, but I don't know, because... You can't do shutdown face on Sunday. <laughs> do you remember the career guy? The, so for people who don't know, when you're trying to become a minister, you go to what's called, or used to go to what's called a career assessment, where they do like a heavy-duty psychological evaluation. <laughs> and we all hold our breath to find out if we're in big trouble before it comes <laughs> I out. didn't hold my breath. I know I was going to ace it. I'm so good in an interview. And so anyhow, he said, you think that people like you because of like your ideas and the things that you're accomplishing. But in fact, you have a certain energy about you. And the advice he gave was to learn to play with that, like turn it up and right. turn it down. And I discovered that when I turn that down, people get mad. Like they don't like it. They're resentful and grumpy if I turn down the energy. Well, I think it's it belongs to different times. Like if somebody has hired you to come for the weekend and be the entertainment, you must keep it turned up. It's good if it comes down a little occasionally, but you must keep it turned up. But if it's like your day-to-day -day life and you go to Superstore, you owe nobody nothing. Yeah, I can't do that. I still do it at Superstore and then I end up in all these conversations. And part of it is that's who we are. Like there was a meme the other day about I do the things I do because that's the person that I am, not because I feel obligated to you or because I have an expectation of your response. Yep. And we talk about that in our house all the time, right? This was not appreciated, by which we mean we did a nice thing. The people were glad to have it, but it sure didn't feel like they were grateful or <laughs> kind or, you know, that sometimes there's a lot of giving, not as much receiving. <laughs> so we, do you stop giving? Well, if I stopped giving, I would feel like a bad person or I would not feel like me. We would have that same conversation in my house, except for I never let John get a word in edgewise. So that conversation never gets off the ground. Because <laughs> you are all sparkle energy. <laughs> oh, it was meant to be a joke about him being the giver and me being the taker. <laughs> all right. Not a good joke. <laughs> I thought it was funny. but Well, then you should leave it in and we can we can uh, poll the listeners. I'm not leaving it in. I can't leave it in. You didn't laugh. You turned the energy way down for Aww, my joke. I'm sorry. Oh, now she's making the talk face. <laughs> Did you see? I don't want to talk to you anymore. Did you see in the chat 
for our service this week that people were typing, now I'm making the face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, no, I didn't. I never see the chat. My Zoom completely froze. At the beginning of that service, people, my Zoom just, it would take no inputs at all. I was using my iPad, like I couldn't touch the screen. So the whole service, I'm muting using my microphone and I'm thinking if Ilara mutes me, thinking they're being helpful, I'm screwed. Yep. And so I just panicked. Well, you you did a great job of carrying on as if things were normal. On the outside, but that's why I had to text you partway through. I was like, did we do the chalice lighting? Like, <laughs> I still have no memory. And you didn't answer me, so I texted Fujian. I did answer Fugence you. Is like, you didn't answer me fast enough. I uh, texted Fujian then, and Fujian was like, yes, you did the chalice lighting. <laughs> Are you, you drinking, this? Like, what's going on over there? <laughs> All right. The excerpt that we're going to read this month is Anne is going to read the Christmas story. I told her she could do it however she wanted, and this is what she chose. So uh, if you already were at the service, you're going to want to skip ahead to... Nonsense! If you were already at the service, you want to stay and listen to the story again because it's funny. (laughs) Okay, fine. And share it with your friends. (laughs) (laughs) The Gospel According to Liz, Christmas edition. First, Liz begat Eric. Then Liz begat Anthony into the house of existing family. And Eric, who was then six years and an unknown number of days, asked, What beeth the Christmas story? Okay, maybe I'm Queen Jamesifying the language a bit too much. I'll modernize for your discerning palates. When Eric asked Liz to explain the Christmas story, she was surprised that he didn't already know it. But then she realized... Why would he? It's not exactly spelled out in the UU principles, after all, is it? Liz found herself briefly tongue-tied by the awesome responsibility of accurately relaying the story of the birth of Jesus. Briefly, it is Liz, after all. She paused a few seconds, realizing that she was probably not going to accurately relay the events of that evening, but then realized that There's pretty good evidence that nobody before her had accurately portrayed it either. So she did what all good storytellers do. She made the version her own. This is not the Christmas story, but rather, like I said, the gospel according to Liz. So here we go. A long, long time ago, there lived a woman named Mary. She was very young, hardly more than a girl. And Mary had a baby growing inside of her, which was a problem in those days because Mary was supposed to wait to do that until she was married. Now, maybe she didn't wait or maybe the baby got in there some other way, but however it happened, Mary was in capital T trouble. Mary was scared because everyone would be angry with her and because she had to push the baby out, which really hurts, and because once it was out, she would have to take care of it And that isn't very easy either. To make matters worse, someone was after Mary's baby. Someone wanted to kill it, so she was extra scared. And on top of that, it was tax time, which makes everybody grumpy. Anyway, they had traveled very far on a donkey, which is incredibly uncomfortable, and Mary was exhausted, when she started to feel a great pain in her tummy. The baby was coming. At home, there would have been people to help her, people who knew her and loved her and who had pushed out babies themselves, people who would be on top of the situation. But there was nobody like that in this strange place. 
Nobody would even give them a place to have the baby, even though Mary's husband Joseph went from hotel to hotel saying, a baby is about to shoot out of my wife. Can we do that in one of your rooms, please? So Mary had to have the baby herself with only the help of Joseph, who was a very nice man, but not even bright enough to be trusted to say, can I book a room without adding, so my wife can scream and bleed all over the place? I am imagining that Eric and Anthony were mildly traumatized by this point in the story, although they have proven to be incredibly resilient, all things considered. So Mary had to give birth in a barn that was smelly and dark and filled with animals and pokey straw and poop. She was all crying and wailing and scared, and Joseph was also crying and wailing and scared. And then Mary had a realization. She realized that everything had gone terribly wrong and that this is not what was supposed to happen. She decided that the baby was just going to have to turn right around and grow up in her tummy forever because she was not strong enough to push it out. Except it turned out that Mary was strong enough. When her brain didn't know what came next, her body showed her what to do. And there was noise, and there was mess, and there was crying, and after that, there was a beautiful little baby like you see in the pictures. Well, not exactly like you see in the pictures, because newborn babies actually look kind of like cross-eyed hairless rats covered in blood and slime with gaping, drooly, industrial vacuum suckers for mouths. But when their parents look at them, they see the most beautiful things in the world. And the pictures you see are the pictures of the baby as seen through Mary's heart. Not as the baby actually looked, the way the baby actually looked and smelled, is what later prompted the wise guys to hand over a bunch of jewelry and perfume. Because they were not exactly wise, but they were definitely more objective about appearances. So Mary sat there looking down at her baby, and she was filled with the most amazing love for her little boy. In that moment, she was no longer a scared young woman huddled in a sea of night with a powerful man trying to hunt her and her family. She was a mother with mama bear love and mama bear power. And she was no longer far from home either because the love and hope that filled her heart made a family home out of wherever she was. The straw felt softer and the animals were quiet and calm and she and Joseph cuddled the baby and they realized that love makes a family wherever you are. We say it all the time, love makes a family and we make it sound simple, except it isn't. Love making a family is often very hard it involves crying and darkness and sometimes yelling and mess. It involves things not being right, not at all. And it's often way harder than we pictured. It involves knowing we are not strong enough, but pushing through anyway. And it involves those moments of peace, those moments when love makes everything golden and soft and wonderful, and we realize we are so much stronger than we thought. Where we realize that families are not about love making things unmessy so they be wonderful. It's about love making it so that things can be messy and wonderful at the same time. 
We tell this story at this time of year when the days are short and it's easy to be filled with gloom as we wait for the sun to return. We tell it now because this is a good time to remind ourselves that each of us carries light inside of us and that nothing that is going on around you can keep you from letting that light shine, even when it's hard and messy and sometimes very loud. that story. I love that you let me tell your story. I love that you changed it substantially. (laughs) Were you impressed by how I Queen James the language? (laughs) Do you know the Queen James Babel story? No. So for a long time, I've been thinking about doing like another podcast that I call the Queen James Babel that is just funny crap from Facebook and stuff. I had Mm -hmm. a little Queen James Babel when I was younger where I wrote like all of the wisdom quotes, like anything that I thought was useful that Mm -hmm. I wrote everything down, but it wasn't my own words. But I did plan on writing a book when I was very young. I wanted to write a guide to being a child because my reasoning was that all of the guides for how to be a child were written by adults who did not have the child's best interest at heart. Then they were trying to teach you how to be their kind of child. And so I was going to write a child's guide to being a child. And I only got two points in. The first point was that you have to put the salt facing down on your tongue because then you'll taste the salt more. (laughs) And you have to wait till your parents have turned their backs to salt your food and use... White salt, not seasoning salt. Otherwise, they can see how much salt you put on. Liz is a vigorous salter. (laughs) And the other piece of advice was you have to use white sugar, not brown sugar in your oatmeal because otherwise your parents will see it turn the milk brown and you won't get as much sugar. I feel that perhaps this is a moral failing, though, because the flavor of brown is so much better than white. But I do understand the sneak of So then the concern was, so I got part with you writing this and I was like, oh, no, like, but salt and sugar cause diabetes. I'm not I don't think salt causes diabetes, but yeah, I believed that you? it did. Yeah, <laughs> These things all cause diabetes. And when I write this book and then children everywhere are going to eat all this extra sugar and they'll be happier, but then they'll have diabetes. And to what extent should people have autonomy over their own choices? And I had this whole moral crisis about this book. It never never occurred to me, A, that it might not be a bestseller, <laughs> or B, that maybe I should put less salt and less sugar on my food. I don't know. You've turned out okay. Yeah, but I'm headed towards diabetes. <laughs> How old were you? Oh, I would have been like eight or nine when I was trying to write this book. I was always trying to write books. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that's adorable. I think for eight or nine that, that those are some pretty profound thoughts. And it's interesting to see that you still had this very... um very strong moral conscience even at eight or nine (laughs) right strong moral conscience about what other people were doing right but i never considered not salting or sugaring my own food at any point isn't that often how a moral conscience goes (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go back to the service okay i loved your your collection Oh, oh that was that was fun hey i mean you really ran with the you got to be mirth this time (laughs) Well, you know, that was very fun. I mean, we joke that Liz is mirth and I am dignity. And if you know me, you know that that's funny all in itself. (laughs) But this time, Liz told me, I get to be the mirth. Be the mirth. Be mirthful. I'm too much dignity this time. Fulgence was the dignity. (laughs) We know Fulgence was actually the dignity. You and I were just the supporting players, shall we say. But when I was thinking about how to do the call for the offering, I thought you've already done a really great job in the service, you and Fulgence, of talking about 
Flaming Chalice International and why we want to contribute and the projects we're helping with and the good we're doing. And I wasn't going to say that again because that's boring and that's when people go to the bathroom, right? They just leave <laughs> because it's like, oh, offering, don't stay. So I thought, how can I be funny? So, you know, when you're sitting at a thing and especially when it's online and somebody says, please send money to this good cause. And you say, oh, that's such a good cause. But you don't actually get to pushing the buttons or spending the money. <laughs> I thought, what do we spend money on easily? Well, you know that crazy late night internet shopping? <laughs> so I put a post on the UU Hysterical Society. And the post was, tell me about the most ridiculous things you have ever purchased on the internet. <laughs> and the offering was, think about the easy ways you spend money and get poor results. <laughs> so people posted some really fun things. Read me the things because I have not looked at that at all. I was okay. too busy writing a sermon. I will read you the things. Feel free to jump in with hilarity. Or dignity. Uh, nobody comes here for dignity. <laughs> Karen posted, I ordered a walk-in greenhouse at a ridiculously low price. Advertised as a closeout. Received a cheap pair of garden gloves. <laughs> Right. Hmm. Sally Ann said, hmm, let me see. There was a run of those at the beginning of COVID. A tiny enough to plug into an outlet like a nightlight build as fabulous room heater that didn't even run. <laughs> Perhaps followed by a gadget that helps you to hang your art, but I'd already hung all mine, so I don't even know if it works. <laughs> Or, or it. the pretty three-quarter leg slacks with the asymmetric cuff that was horrid cheap fabric. And somebody posted below, they bought those pants too and discovered <laughs> that while they were not nice for clothing, they were great for exfoliating dead skin. <laughs> um, and Sally Ann continued, or the dog cooling mat that turned out to be a rectangle of polyester stitched as if it was quilted. The internet saw me coming. <laughs> Uh, Alexis said, accidentally bought a rain barrel while stoned after work a few years back. I don't have my own home or anywhere to collect rain from. <laughs> it took up space in my ex-boyfriend's storage unit until I finally ended up giving it away to some local pot growers who I assume are using and enjoying it. <laughs> okay, that was one we featured. So in the offering, what I did was... I made a little video of the unfortunate things that people received or ordered this, got this, um, so that we could watch it at offertory time as the incentive for if you have ever had an experience like this, wouldn't you love to donate money to Flaming Chalice International and know that it will actually do good in the world. And you won't just get some weird ass exactly. pair of gloves. It was really funny to see how many people did gardening things that don't garden like this woman ordering the rain barrel but she doesn't have anywhere to collect rain from somebody else ordered 3500 holy basil seeds they also do not garden i find a lot of the money that i have spent the most poorly has been me spending money on an image of myself that i wish i was rather than an image of myself that i am a lot of spoiled vegetables in the fridge for starters <laughs> right right but a lot of money goes to i want to be this person i will start by buying the supplies to be this person rather than right. i will start by becoming this person right the kind of person i want to be purchases more broccoli and less candy maybe now i am all out of candy and i have and... compost heap in the fridge well, I think I think that's true for me too and 
we should often shop to fill a hole, right? We've got a need, whether we're sad or we're tired or we're lonely or we're just disappointed and we shop to fill a hole. I will often purchase things that are uses of time when I wish I had time. So I'll buy like puzzles. So I'll be like, you know what I'd really like is to have the night off work and I'd spend it puzzling or reading this book or whatever. But what I want is the night off work. Like I have no shortage of lovely activities and buying more activities doesn't actually give me more nights off work. I think I do that with books. I buy books because they are the information that represents the person I want to be or the knowledge I want to have. I have Mm. a lot of really great books that I haven't read. (laughs) And that was the whole point of the funny offering was We've easily thrown away money that we think later, why Why did I do that? You know, Lori and I are in the process of clearing all that clutter out of our house because we didn't need that thing. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who attended the service or anybody who's been watching the posts on Crack Cup or on the Hysterical Society Facebook groups who has made a contribution. So how is the fundraiser going, Liz? How How is it going? It's going very well. So... The collection that we took at the service was about 600 Canadian and about 600 American. And next time, I think we should frame it as a competition. (laughs) I know you're (laughs) going to veto, but I won't ask your permission. (laughs) But the fundraiser in general, we're it's hard to tell because it's product purchase, some of it. So we're at around $7,000. Right, because the proceeds from the product on the UU Hysterical Society website also fund Flaming Chalice International. Yeah, and they're really good products. John oh, made a whole bunch of little earrings out of our little chalice logo that looks like a smiley face. And oh, he made... did you see the whole little conversation today online about how somebody's <laughs> just like, I was today years old when I realized that your chalice is a laughing face. I yeah. know, it's so great. The coolest thing he made was one that looks like a Christmas ornament and you put mm-hmm. it over your coffee and you sprinkle cinnamon and then... Oh. You have a little chalice on the top of your coffee, which takes you over the threshold of Unitarian Universalism needed to summon an angel and or demon, whatever it is they decide when they arrive. Go to the webs or to the Hysterical Society Facebook group. There's a photo of that. It's great. I'll put the photos in the, in the show notes. So Make them go, Liz. Don't okay, be I'll silly. Make them go. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes. Link in so, the show notes. So we're... We're at about 7,000, which is getting close. It's 10,000 is the goal that we're, that we're working towards. That's great. And it went so badly the first day. So oh no! I decided to switch to videos this time because I could tell more stories in videos and our videos have been doing well. And for some reason, I thought videos were boosted in the algorithm. So I made the video and on the whole first day, like three people clicked like, so I knew it went up. And there was one $25 donation. Uh (laughs) Normally it's thousands of dollars on the first day. That's very disappointing. It it was not, I didn't feel disappointed. I felt like I was a disappointment, right? Like I was like, this is a really important part of their budget. And I, the person who's in charge of knowing how to game the algorithm, have made, either made a terrible video or a video is not the right choice or what. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out what it is. And then I realized I'm just going to ask, right? Like, Every time I've run into trouble with the Hysterical Society, I have asked the Hysterical Society for help. Like the time when I couldn't sell the product at GA and they just stepped in. Or the first time when we raised money for the first group of refugees. I just, so I just made a post being like, this is what has happened. Please tell me what has gone wrong and what I need to do differently. And people just poured in with like, this is what they saw on their feeds and this is what they didn't see on their feeds. And this is their, and just straight up clear feedback, no mincing words, 
kind. I love it that the people are it so helpful. It was so helpful. And so I went in and I like redid everything. And then the next day it was it was on track perfectly. It the was way effective. It be. Yay. Yeah. And I'm just really grateful to the people who jumped in and just provided super matter of fact. And I'm glad that I thought to do that. And I'm glad that it's a group where it's okay to do that. Like I didn't feel like the fundraiser had to go well. It was okay to be like, hmm, the fundraiser's bombing people. <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> This is an important lesson that you keep modeling for us over and over again. Like that if you try to fix things all by yourself, you're still counting on the same mind to solve the problem that created the problem in the first place. And that people want to be helpful. Like you didn't maybe didn't get 110,000 suggestions, but you got enough suggestions to make it made all the difference in the world. And it also I didn't think about this at the time, but. Because I said I'm going to need advice, every Unitarian in the world reads that post and offers advice. <laughs> so then what does the algorithm do? Oh, this is engaging and hilarious content. Up, 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 up. <laughs> so that caused Pumped people to realize. Up. So once I did the advice post, all the other posts, people started seeing them because they were now going to look for the fundraiser and stuff. And I just want to say thank you so much to the people who've been donating. This is such a worthy cause and it is so dear to my heart. And if you haven't been to check out the stories, I'll put the hashtag in the show notes. Liz from the future here. Screw hashtags. I'm going to read you the stories. The first one is the creation story of Flaming Chalice International. When he was in prison, Fougence was allowed visitors. Every day, a congregant would bring him a copy of the petition that was circulating to get him released and other details about our efforts. At night, when he was alone in his cell, 12 hours straight of darkness, He would sit and think about all the people who were working to get him free. Of course, he didn't know most of us, so that led him to wonder what was connecting us to him. He came to the conclusion that it was our UU values that we share, and that he'd stood up for what we all believe in, and so we were standing up for him. And the symbol of those values was to him a flaming chalice. And so every night he would hold the image of that chalice in his mind to keep his sense of hope and resilience alive. When he was released and made it to safety, the flaming chalice took on a new meaning. Now it no longer meant that he wasn't forgotten. It meant that it was his turn not to forget. That there were others who had worked alongside him, putting everything on the line for the values that we all share, and that those people hadn't made it to safety yet. He created a charity to use to help them, and he named it Flaming Chalice International. Liz, for the people who weren't at the service or who may not have been on Facebook recently, maybe they're mm-hmm. just faithful crack cup listeners. We love you. We, <laughs> we love, love you, you so much. Both of you. Um, <laughs> both of you. That's right. <laughs> Yay. Tell the folks what it is that this fundraiser is fundraising for this like year. Like the specifics. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So half of it is refugee support. So Yay. the paperwork is underway for them to come to Canada, but it takes a long time and it takes long. I don't even know if it's taking longer because of COVID it just takes a really really long time um, so some of it is support for people in the situations that they're in as they're waiting for their papers to right. be processed right and and the reason these people are refugees is their social justice work they weren't all Unitarian Church of Burundi members when the church did what they did um, but their surrounding community like that that group of people so they had to flee because they were standing up for the values that we believe in. And we are supporting them and getting them to placements in other countries. Could I just maybe say yeah. they were standing up for the values that they believe in and turns out it's parallel to the ones we believe in? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's so much better. Oh, oh. Yes, we have 
we have the values of the Crack Cup podcast. And no. I meant we as in us and them. That's totally Oh, that's I meant. so beautiful. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Thank you. So what's the other half of the money going to? <laughs> and the other half is going to development work. So as people have gotten more and more settled, and I have to tell you, I was going over the books because that's part of what I do as a board member. Mm-hmm. And I, we were looking at the monthly pledge amounts and a significant portion comes from refugees who are now settled in Canada working menial oh. minimum wage jobs who are making huge monthly pledges. That's when I started becoming a monthly pledger. Oh, that's so profound. Yeah. So so half of the money goes to refugee support and the other half of the money goes now to development because people are settled. So we mm-hmm. don't need as much for refugee support. And so when we went to, well, we, Fougeance, went to the community and said, what's most helpful here? Can I interrupt for a second? Yep. So the people that Fulgence is talking to in this story is no longer refugees. This is people who oh, live yeah. in Burundi, right? Right. Okay. So Fougeance goes back to the community that he's from now, the people who didn't have to flee. Mm-hmm. And where is this? This is in Ryansboro. It's in, in Burundi. Burundi. Yeah. Africa. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> You don't know Ryan's boroughs from this from the community beside it. They're not up on that. Remember, this is the part for the people who don't know what we're talking about. Sorry, Burundi. Okay, I am reminded of a friend of mine once. We were, we were talking about like heritage and where the person came from, and he goes, "I'm from Sri Lanka, but I'm I'm Malay in Sri Lanka, but I'm not stereotypical Malay, Liz." I remember thinking you are way overestimating. I'm like, so not Mexico then, right? Like, because because my skills knowing what is stereotypical in Sri Lanka or or Malaysian people, or I still don't know what stereotypical Malay means. Like, I don't know what it is that he's not. Might have to pay one of the children to ask him someday, so you can have a knowledgeable look on your face. Should he ever say that again? Inadequate amount of stereotyping from here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I failed my stereotyping classes. I was busy putting brown sugar on my. The racism I learned as a child is woefully inadequate and inspecific. Yeah, I'm sorry, this. I only have local inadequate <laughs> stereotypes. It's almost like it's not logical. <laughs> hey, so anyways, in <clears throat> Ryansboro. Liz from the future here again. So what follows this is like a very incoherent rambling version of the story. So I'm going to read to you instead the text that accompanied the picture of the Not A Church we helped build, which I will also link to in the show notes. This is the Not A Church that we, who are not a church ourselves, helped build in Burundi. This is not a tactic that religious organizations usually take. Usually they build churches. I asked Fajance about this. He said, there are already enough churches in that region. Thank you. He explained that churches are gathering places for only one part of the population, the people who belong to that religion. He explained that what's needed is a place for everyone. Division kills, he said, and community saves lives. When I asked him what he meant exactly by this, he told me a story from what we think of as the Rwandan genocide, but it happened in Burundi as well. Fujance was a teenager at boarding school at the time. His school was near a military base, so he was safe, but his family wasn't. Fujans and his family are Tutsi, which is the minority that was in danger at that time. He was sure that it couldn't happen in his own village, though. But everyone had been sure it wouldn't happen in their home village. Fujans heard that a prominent politician in the area had killed three Tutsis and urged all Hutus in that region to attack their neighbors. This was the typical pattern. Weeks later, Fujans got word of what had happened in his home village. As the violence was beginning to take root in the region, three Hutu men went from door to door to talk to the other Hutus. They said, these are our neighbors. They haven't done anything wrong. We can't do this. 
It worked. Fujian's family and the other Tutsis in that area stayed safe. Weeks later, the mostly Tutsi army arrived in the village. It had been scouring the countryside, exacting retribution. And the Tutsis of the village, including Fujian's father, came out and stood in front of the army and explained, these people protected us. We are one community. The army left without shedding any blood. That's why they asked for a community center where everyone can gather, because they resist the division by ethnicity or religion or whatever else it is. This is the ethic that we're protecting by supporting them in their ongoing development work. It is not a UU church. It is not a UU community center even. There are no services, no evangelizing, no mention of religion in any way. There's not even a sign that says, hey, thanks Unitarian Universalists. There is a sign though. It says, Kaze Muhira, which is the local language. It means welcome home. So that's what we're helping fund. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's what contributions go to helping with this community center. The money from last year went to building the community center, which now has water so that Yay. the women don't have to walk for many hours, has electricity, and has a space for the community to gather. And they've been holding meetings there already. And in the meetings, they've said, because we have water, we'd like to have a garden now so we can grow mm -hmm. our own food. So there's money for, for that in the budget that we're raising money for. And they said, now we have an electrical outlet. We've been cutting our hair with scissors. And you're a hairdresser. You know, it takes a oh. long time to, to cut hair with scissors. And African hair would be even harder, right? It's oh, forever. Oh. Whereas with the clippers and the electricity, they just go buzz, 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 and it's done. So they right. want to set up that. And they want to set up a store because it's still more than an hour's walk to go get a cup of sugar or whatever it is you might need. And these women are carrying this stuff for their huge families all the time. And so they want to set up a little local store co-op right so those right. are the three things that they've asked for our help with that we're raising money for right now see that is way more satisfying <laughs> than buying a fake miniature tiny teapot <laughs> on the internet it will be spent well because when you send money over to a community the community like safeguards it together and yeah. they make decisions together and which is just and they what... will turn it into food and connection <laughs> and and well-being and saving time and effort. I think, hmm, that seems like a much better purchase than the water barrel and the horse. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I tell you one more story? I haven't told this one anywhere else because it makes me look terrible. And I'm, I'm not even sure I want to tell it to you because I know that you're going to make the face. You're already making the face. <laughs> I am not. I'm laughing in advance. <laughs> so we're going over the photos of the community center and Fujian's points over to the left. And he's like, and that there is the wheelchair ramp. And I said, are there a lot of wheelchairs in the region, right? Because oh I'm picturing fairly <laughs> rural Africa. I'm like, was this a big need? Mm -hmm. And Fujian says, Liz, the community center is the community center for everyone. If there's not a way for a person with a wheelchair to get in, then that breaks the point. Mm hmm. <laughs> I thought Anne is giving me a look. <laughs> I wasn't saying there shouldn't be a ramp. I was just, I don't know what the priorities should be. Like, that's an example of I would not have thought that that would be a priority. I wouldn't have understood the meaning that that would have had for the people who are going there. I love the beauty of your relationship with Fulgence, where you can ask a question and he will answer it. And it, it there is no shame and no criticism implied. <laughs> He's just, oh, this person does not know this thing I will explain this thing <laughs> he is very long-suffering without <laughs> without mentioning that he is long-suffering at all he he is very helpful and tolerant 
The other thing is, he will also push back and point out to you very gently where you have been unintentionally racist. Very kindly. And he will happily answer your question. And I think that's so helpful because we get so stuck worrying about making mistakes that sometimes we do nothing. Well, and that's the worst thing is where people are so worried about making mistakes that they don't ask or they don't engage. When I first met him, I was asking him. So back then he was the minister at the church in Burundi. None of this had happened in Bujumbura. And he was describing their services. And I said, wow, that's really interesting. You know, that's totally not what I'm used to. What makes that Unitarianism? Mm-hmm. And he described, you know, well, we have a common values. We're liberal and we value exploration and if individual conscience. And then he pauses and he smiles and he <laughs> says, so the churches I've been at to here, they're very different from what I'm used to. What makes them Unitarianism? <laughs> like he Listen. was not giving ground. Listen. <laughs> it wasn't that one country had Unitarianism and the other country was adapting. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, it's his very elegant way of not saying, why is it you think you get to define what Unitarianism is for the world? Just by offering the question back to you. And my goodness, we learned that lesson fast. (laughs) But I didn't feel ashamed. I just felt like I didn't know before and now I know. And how do you know until you know? Exactly. Liz, from the future, last time, we're going to give Fougence the last word today. From one of the posts. So the last thing I don't understand is this, how a person arrives in a country with nothing but their clothes and a passport, struggling to learn to communicate in what will be his fourth language, trying to figure out everything from how to use the bus to how to earn a living. And what that person thinks to himself is, oh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a charity to do international development and refugee support. I understand why a person would do that. I just don't understand how someone does it. When I asked Fougence about this, he told me about one of his favorite quotes that's guided him for years. It's from St. Francis of Assisi. It goes, start by doing what is necessary, then what's possible. Soon you will be doing the impossible. If you would like to donate to Flaming Chalice International, you want to go to flaminginternational.org and navigate to the appropriate donation area for your country because there are tax receipts for Canadians and Americans and the donation process is different depending on what receipt you need. Or you can check the show notes and I will put your country-specific link below assuming you are Canadian or American. Otherwise, just use the Canadian one and I'm sorry, we don't have a tax receipt for you. I'll also put a link there to Westwood Solstice Service, which is online the evening of the 21st. Westwood Solstice Service is legendary. Like, during the before times, they would have to have it on the steps of City Hall instead of in their church because so many extra people would come. So if you're interested in a little something lovely on the darkest night of the year with Anne, so you know it will have so much dignity, please check the link in the show notes. Also, this will make up for the fact that there is no Cracked Cup Mirth and Dignity service in December because I do not like to work very much in the holiday season. If you're a Patreon, you will want to immediately check out the Patreon page because our December perks are very, very fabulous. There is a gift-making kit PDF with things like a label for your homemade wine that says post-miracle water and a whole series of labels for candles. So you can buy dollar store candles and then put these pretty labels on them to like rebrand their scent. So the labels say things like... A candle for solstice smells like pine with light tones of hope and desperation. Subtitle, the sun is taking its sweet time coming back. Or, a candle for interrogating Santa. Smells like this kid was raised right. Or, a candle scented of regifting. Smells like reduce, reuse, and recycle. 
All candles are vegan and gluten-free, not machine washable or dishwasher safe and should be extinguished before being placed in storage. Lots of funny things on the labels. There's also a downloadable hip hymnal supplement, which is very funny, and a downloadable gift decorating kit with pretty labels that say things like not poisonous for your baking, or handmade with love, presumably but not by me, which is my favorite, or it's the thought that counts and I way overthought this. Things like that. Oh, and also there are the not failing to Christmas properly things in that kit as well, and the Chalika cards. And if you don't know about the not failing to Christmas properly video, I will have a link in the show notes, and after you are done filling up with dignity at Anne's service, you should pop on over to that video because it's really funny. So, as always, a huge thanks, huge, huge thanks to our Patreon subscribers for making this podcast happen. And if you want to become a patron and support what we're doing and get access to special perks, check out patreon.com slash mirthanddignity. That will also give you access to the Cracked Cup Facebook group and to patron coffee hour and fun PDFs. The Crack Cup podcast is produced by Anne Mundaiko and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. And thank you so much for joining us.